the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow. Join the conversation now by texting Scott in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow. Great to be with you today. I'm a former candidate for Speaker of the House now. I guess they resolved all of that. Instead, I'm just a speaker on the station. Glad to be speaking with you today. Later this hour, Rabbi Kurt Schneider will be here. In just a few minutes, we'll talk about his new book to help you understand the Old Testament and how it points to Jesus being the Messiah. And I thought, you know, especially if you started the year and you have one of those Bible reading plans and uh, you know what, you're almost two weeks into it and most people make it about uh, two weeks, three weeks, and then you hit Leviticus and you're done. Well, I think this will help you. Uh, get through it no matter where you're at, you know, especially uh, if you're doing one of those programs or just at any time, I think this will really, really help you. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. Right now, I want to ask this question, and I'm curious about this just because I, and I've, I've just started thinking about this today a little bit. I think about this a lot, but I've been thinking about this, especially today with the president's visit to uh, El Paso and dealing with border issues and all the uh, migrants who are coming over. What does a uh, Christian look like who is in political power. And I I thought about this not just because of the uh, Biden visit to the border, but also this statistic. You ready for this? What percentage of people would you say in the House of Representatives claims to be Christian? Like if they're filling out the form and they click the box, what percentage would you say actually clicks Christian? You know what that number is? It's 88 percent. 88 percent of the 118th U.S. Congress uh, claims to be Christian. Um, and uh, the majority of those are are Protestant now. That might be the first time ever that there are more Protestants. It breaks down this way. About 67% of the members, um, about 12%, they identify as some kind of Baptist, which I thought was kind of a funny thing in that statistic, some, some kind of Baptist. Me coming from a Baptist background, it just makes me laugh. Also, if you watched all that commotion with the speaker voting and everything, and you're thinking, oh, this is just terrible for our country, well, then I would suggest you've never been to a Sunday night Baptist church meeting. They're going to be fine. Everything will be fine. By the way, the number is 888 528 888-528-2557, if you want to join the conversation. You can also send me an email at SoCalLive at KKLA.com. Anyway, a lot of different findings about uh, this group. I'll get into that in a second. But this is something that uh, also was, I think, a big deal. It just led me into this topic a little bit. President Biden went to El Paso, and he didn't meet with any migrants, and they cleared out the, the streets. And that's, a, that's a common thing when there's a political event or something, but the the it's raised a lot of eyebrows and controversy because they just moved all these migrants anywhere. And the White House said, well, there weren't any 
uh, there for the president to meet with. But that isn't true. This is Rosa Flores on CNN. President Biden, my colleague MJ Lee asked the White House about the president not interacting or meeting with any migrants. And a senior administration official told her that it was because there were no migrants at the respite center at the time that the president visited and that it was coincidental. But Poppy, I checked the migrant dashboard that the city of El Paso has. Uh-huh. And at the time when the president was here, there were nearly 1,000 migrants who were in federal detention. So if the president really wanted to see conditions, uh-huh. I kind of doubt that the president of the yeah. United States would have been denied access. Poppy? Right, right. And just it's remarkable what we're seeing behind you, Rosa. Those are migrants sleeping on the street of El Paso, right? You're absolutely right. And we've seen this for weeks. And if the president would have stopped by here, he would have seen right. that there are hundreds of people. And you see him here behind me. Hundreds of people living in the streets of America, I should highlight. This is a city in America, in the United States. And the top executive of this country came here. He did not came to see this. I thought about that. And I know that the, you know, they didn't say it, though. I thought, well, the White House probably is going to say there's security concerns. and We can't just have the uh, president traipsing around. I think you can, actually. Uh, And I'll talk about that in a minute. But then I thought, you know, 88 percent of people in Congress say that they're Christians. And you have the, almost everybody, if not everybody, I think it's almost everybody, are Christians or say they're Christians, Protestant or Catholic, on the Supreme Court. Maybe everybody but one person, I think. And you have uh, a probably, I didn't see a stat, but the majority of people in the United States Senate probably mark the Christian box. And I thought about this. What do we really expect Christians who are in political office to do? Like, if you really know, what's the impact beyond policy? Okay, there's policy and there's there's things, okay, obviously, places where they vote. But in their actions with people as representatives of the people, how do you leverage that job to really do something for the kingdom of God? See, that's something we should do in all of our, our jobs, right? What do you think? 888-528-2557 is the number, 888-528-2557. Years ago, this is a longer story, and I'll, I'll tell it more in detail one day. But years ago, I thought about actually running for Congress, and I had some people reach out to me, and I actually could have. I had, uh, I had the right people. I had a, a really good potential campaign manager, and more importantly, I had a really good fundraiser because that's what it's about. And I wasn't – I was really only like you know 2% interested, but I thought, oh, I'm going to pray about it. And I went to Washington, D.C., and I knew some people. I got to go in the House of Representatives, House of Representatives, or the House of Representatives, which is unfortunately what it's turned out for some of us. But they're supposed to be the House of Representatives. Uh, I need to write that down. The House of Representatives, that's where you get you know bitter after you've been reelected too many times. House of Representatives. I sat in the House, the House chamber, and I was there almost by myself for about two hours, occasionally you know, a uh, docent would come in or there'd be somebody come in there. But generally, I was in there for two hours by myself praying about God's will for my life and ministry. And a great moment for me was I left there after two hours, believing that, at least for me, the place in the world where I would have the least impact for the kingdom of God is the United States House of Representatives. And that was the end of any thought that I had of of running for office, running for that job. But, and the And the the person who eventually they picked to run lost, you know, which also kind of impacted me, you know, the next year when that happened. I thought I would have probably would have lost. Um, anyway, um, I but I've always thought there are so many Christians in there or people who say that they are. And I realize not everybody who says they're a Christian really is. And I also realize that a lot of us who in our 
in our day-to-day lives, we don't always see our job as a ministry, but it is. It's really, really important that we all see our jobs, whatever it is we do, even if our job is at home, if our job is taking care of the kids or our job is keeping house or our job is just saying hello to the neighbors. Um, your job is a ministry, and we're supposed to do everything as unto the Lord, and that includes the the work that we are given. We have to have some kind of job, but our, our careers, I think, as a as a Christian are so much more. People often ask me as a pastor, you know, what's God's will for my life? You know, and they mean, you know, what job should I take? Should I take this career path or this other career path? Sometimes they mean that. And, you know, sometimes I think you get a really clear understanding of what steps to take. But I think that whatever it is, whatever you decide to do, God's will for your life is to demonstrate and announce the gospel to whatever people you are working with, to be a representative of Christ, to be an ambassador of Christ, wherever you are. You know, I think that matters to God more than what particular career you have. Now, I'm sure God is guiding you in certain places because he's putting you in those people's lives. I think that's God's plan for them, for those people, right, is that he's putting the church, which is you and me, in the lives of these people. So I I think it matters greatly. But I think about this a lot. So if you find yourself in leadership, or what is, even as Christians, if you have the opportunity to pray with a member of Congress or somebody, you know, what do you tell them? See, I think the president should have gone and met with those migrants. I think he should have walked into one of those shelters. I think, you know, I think you could have put everybody through a metal detector. There's Secret Service everywhere, right? It's, I've been to things where the president is, you can, it's unbelievable how good the security is. You could have done it. And I think that would have been a good thing for him to do, not just personally, but it would have been a good thing because you bring the cameras in there. And, you know, in politics, maybe you're bringing the cameras in there because you want everybody to see what a decent guy you are because you're meeting with these people. But as a Christian, I think you could have a different motivation, that you're bringing the camera in there because you want the country to see all of these people. And I think that matters because I think that for Christians, yes, we have opinions as voters on border policy, and I think that we should. I think our government is not doing the just thing by ignoring laws that we have and not having a good policy. But I also think as Christians going beyond that, that whatever it is that the government is doing or not doing, we should see people who are in poverty, people who are in great need, and realize we've got a role to play here that the church has a role to play here, that as Christians, you know, we need to do something, whichever side of the border, we're finding these people. And there is an opportunity when you have some kind of political power, some kind of attention paid to you, that you can leverage that attention for the sake of these people. You're listening to Southern California Live. The number is 888-528-2557 if you want to join the conversation, 888-528-2557. In fact, I think one of the great leadership lessons out there, which I got from somebody else and I don't remember where I got it for sure, but it's this. So I'm giving credit to whoever came up with this, but I stole it and now I forgot who I stole it from. Um, but I used to give this speech at the the church I was at. We had a Boy Scout troop, and they had a plethora of Eagle Scout ceremonies, lots of Eagle Scouts for whatever reason. A great group of people and uh, had a really good relationship. It was a great way in this case to actually connect with the neighborhood. 
I know that sometimes we have groups at our church and they're rentering and they're just kind of there and we don't pay much attention, but hopefully you can actually use the, that type of thing as a way to connect with people. And we were able to do that. Um, and I got to give the, because of that, I had a good relationship and I could actually give the, the Eagle Scout address, you know, and uh, often I would do this. And, and what I would challenge these young kids to do who are the most important, most important person in the room at that moment. Do you ever find yourself the most important person in the room? Like not to blow your own horn, but it, but sometimes, and maybe you see yourself as that because you're the parent, or maybe it's because you are the boss. Maybe you have some kind of authority in a situation. Sometimes you're the most important person in the room, though, because it's your birthday. You know, sometimes you're the most important person of the room because it's your anniversary or it's because it's your Eagle Scout ceremony. So I would give the the most important person in the room talk. And what I would say is this, that whenever you find yourself as the most important person in the room, what should you do? What should you do with that power, if it's power or authority, if it's authority or if it's attention that you have, if you find yourself up front you find yourself where everybody's paying attention to you. Maybe you're the chairman of the board. Maybe you're the CEO of your company. Maybe you're the manager of your group. Maybe you're the baseball coach. Maybe you are the team captain. Maybe you are mom. Maybe you are, you know, the best, you know, the, the award-winning salesperson of the month or whatever. See what I'm saying? It's often we'll have at some point in our life, some moment where we discover we're the most important person of the, in the room. What do you do? And the answer is this. You leverage that importance. You leverage that power or whatever it is. You leverage that attention. You leverage it for the sake of everyone else in the room. That what can you do with that attention that you have or that power that you have to make things better for everyone else in the room? See, that's a, that is such an important leadership uh, thing to know because if you know if people are paying attention to you if suddenly you have the floor if suddenly you have people's eyes on you even if it's just your birthday and they're singing that song to you and i know it's difficult because you don't know where to look when they're singing that song but when that song is over and you blow out the candles or the waiters go away with their silly song and whatever else you know what do you do and you know and if it's a birthday or something it's hard to know but you know maybe what you do is you share your cake you make sure that everybody else gets a piece of cake before you do I mean, it's kind of typical, right? Oh, the birthday kid gets the first piece. It's hard to do as a kid, right? But as an adult, you know, if you make sure that maybe you take the small piece or maybe you make sure, hey, let's make sure everyone else gets one. See what I'm saying is that you can kind of take care of everyone else. You have that moment where even something as simple as a birthday, you have that moment where you are the person who can lift everybody's spirits. You are the person who can make the decision about whether or not this moment is just about you or whether you can turn it around and make it about everyone else. That's what I would tell the the Boy Scouts is that, you know, hey, you're getting your Eagle Scout here. You're the most important person in the room. We talk about that and we talk about the badges and I would have some kind of joke about, did you get the badge about getting lost in the woods and found, you know, and then you get to do TV interviews. What do you, you know, what are you doing? And they'd laugh. Ah. But we would get real serious about that. See, I think that's an important thing, right? I think it really, really matters a lot. And if you are a person of power in your business, in your church, and power might mean title, but it also might mean just influence, or if you're the president. See, this is why I think the president should have gone and met with those migrants, because he's 
arguably the most powerful person on earth, meeting with the lowliest people on earth or some of the lowliest people on earth. I mean, what an opportunity, right? That's a huge opportunity. And it's not just him. It's whatever he, whoever he brought with him in his delegation. It's even people with the camera. I appreciated uh, Rosa Flores on CNN showing these migrants who were there and saying, hey, no one paid attention to them, actually, with this trip. She actually did some journalism there. She used her camera to lift up the suffering of people behind her. That's what I think the president should do. And I think that's something about leadership. See, what does it look like for Christ? What does he tell us? He tells us that we should be considering other people as, and other people's needs as more important than our own. There is something about leadership wherever you find yourself. And I'll say it again. I know that for some of you, you're thinking, oh, I'm not a leader. Yes, you are. You have influence somewhere. And in fact, uh, I was thinking about this with, with church. You know, you come on Sunday morning. Let me tell you something. At your church, you have obviously the pastors there, and you have the music leaders, and you got people who are up on the stage. And somebody's giving announcements. Somebody's singing the songs. Somebody is giving the sermon. And, you know, maybe somebody gives their testimony. Somebody's doing something. Okay, you got those people. Everyone's eyes are on those people. But you also have everybody else. And maybe you have some greeters who that's their role to play, to greet. Let me tell you something. Everybody's a greeter at your church, including you. Everybody is. Because sometimes the reason that, you know, maybe somebody doesn't come back to your church after their visit, it's not because they didn't like the sermon. It's not because they didn't like the music. It's not because they didn't like your whatever. It's because they sat by somebody who wouldn't talk to them. Or they sat by somebody who said, you know, you're in my seat. And they had to move somewhere else. Like that experience, in fact, the studies show that most people decide whether or not they're staying in your church before the service even begins. And it's so often that they are having this experience because of somebody they ran into. We used to say at our church, you know, people who are coming to church, they might be coming to church to find Jesus. They hopefully are coming to church because, you know, something has happened in their life and they're looking for truth. And we have to be careful because they might come the first time and they may not meet Jesus, but they are going to meet us. And what was that relationship like? <laughs> it needs to be a good one. See, you always have influence. Just think about that whenever you're at, you're at church or, in, and like I always say too, you're, you're at church now. If you're with people, you're at church. What's that experience like? See, you have influence. I promise you that you do. Jesus was somebody, according to Philippians, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or something to be used to his own advantage. You know, Jesus could have been pretty arrogant about being God, right? I mean, look, think of all the miracles he could have done just for a magic show. And, um, but it would have changed people's thoughts about him. Instead, Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient unto death, even death on a cross. That's leadership. That's what you do. And by the way, if you want to be a leader, you know, and you have some ambition, I don't think ambition necessarily is wrong if it's in the right place. God, I think, gives you that so that you can take steps in a certain direction, maybe where you're called. But notice what happens next in Philippians 2. Therefore, God exalted him to the higher place. Therefore, comes after by becoming obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Now, you're not Jesus, but you know the same leadership principle is that when you're doing what the Lord wants, 
you find that opportunities open up for you. When you are humbling yourself and you are treating other people, um, not looking at your own interest, the Philippians writer Paul would say, but to the interests of others. You know what you find out is that God starts to use you in tremendous ways. So I have this thought. As you pray for people in Congress, as you pray for the president, people in leadership, you know, pray this, not just for particular policy and politics, right and left. And, you know, you want them to have the right thing. But even in their regular interactions with people, as people who say they represent Christ, it's with the box that they check. Uh, 67 members are some kind of Baptist, 31 are Methodists, 22 Episcopalians, 25 Presbyterians, nine are members of the Church of Jesus, nine are Mormons, okay, so I wouldn't put them in the same Christian category, but that's probably what the box looks like. And if you're Mormon and you're listening, I'll answer that later, but uh, it's a different faith, right? You don't believe the same thing about Jesus. Uh, And if you do, then you're not really Mormon. You should get out of there. Uh, Eight are Orthodox Christians, okay, Orthodox capital O, 33 members, though, are Jewish, and uh, there are three Muslim, two Hindu, and two Buddhists. That's the makeup of the House of Representatives. For those who are Christian in there, who check the Christian box, uh, how are you leveraging that in a Christian way? Can you pray for our, our leaders? In fact, I'll do that here as we close here in a second. But as you pray for them, pray that not just with policy or other things, but in the way they carry themselves with other people, and especially when they have opportunity to interact with the lowly, their constituents, the homeless, people who've come up over the border, people who are really hurting and suffering, people who are, you know, the elderly sometimes, the lonely, people who are relying on them to actually make a difference, that they would consider those things above themselves. That's a big problem, right, for politics, is it's so much about that person and that person's reelection. Would you pray for your leaders that way? Let me do it here real quick. God, we have a new year and uh, same president, new Congress, new members on all side, Lord. Many of them say that they know you, whether they're just checking a box and it's true or they're checking the box because they went to church once when they were a kid. You know the reasons. You know where their heart is. I pray that our leaders who are believers would walk that way, that they would be the light of Christ, that they would humble themselves and consider the interests of others greater than themselves. And I pray, Lord, that you would help them do this simple thing the way you did, that they would leverage their authority for the sake of everybody else, wherever they find themselves, and that they would do that to the glory of God, that this would be more than a job, more than a position, more than some moment of glory or leadership or a plaque on the door, that it would be for the Christians who are there, an opportunity to lead well because they lead like Jesus. We pray for all of our leaders in that regard, and for those who don't really know you, that they would get saved, that they would get saved because of these prayers of the saints throughout our country, and that they would get saved because they get to know real Christians who are their colleagues. We pray for them, Lord, as we begin this year with a new Congress and new leadership. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Hey, when we get back, if you have started a a Bible reading class course, or if you haven't, or even if you're just a believer, you want to know more about the Bible, have you ever wondered how much the Bible, what the Old Testament really is about, and how much the Old Testament really influences the New Testament? 
Well, I have a guest who will be with us at the break. It's Rabbi Kurt Schneider. He has uh, written a new book, and we'll tell you about that book. We'll start to be giving away some of those books this week. And uh, he's going to help you understand the Old Testament, how it points to Jesus being the Messiah. And this will help you understand your faith, understand the Bible, and uh, have a lot more hope in your life. You're listening to Southern California Live. We'll be back with Rabbi Kurt Schneider in just a minute as the Monday edition of SoCal Live continues. Stay tuned. This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow. Text Scott right now in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live. You know, it's New Year's and so many people, and I think this is a great uh, New Year's resolution, or maybe it's something you do every year that you read your Bible. And I know that many of you have started that even for the first time. Are you doing your Bible reading plan? Is that something you're doing? If you're doing it, you're likely starting somewhere in the Old Testament. And, you know, I understand how this goes. You're going to uh, read uh, Genesis, Exodus, and then you're going to die in Leviticus, and that'll be it. Sometimes people push through and you make it like to Ezekiel, and then you're gone. I want to help you get all the way through. I think it matters so much to actually read your Bible, and even if you don't understand all of it, you can understand it better. Studies say that most Christians have not read most of the Bible And most of that non-reading is the Old Testament. And I want to help you understand your Old Testament. The Old Testament is not, you know, just a collection of laws and traditions for one group of people. It's actually about Jesus Christ, uh, the key to salvation. And, you know, with me to help me understand this is uh, Rabbi Kurt Schneider. He is the author of Messianic Prophecy Revealed, a new book that will be given away. I'll tell you more about how to get one of those later on. And uh, in this book, he takes readers through the Word of God, showing them how the New Testament writers took passage out of the Old Testament to prove that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. Rabbi, thanks for joining us today on Southern California Live. Scott, God bless you, my friend. Thank you for having me and getting the opportunity to connect with you today for the first time. Yeah, it's great to have you on the show. You know, a a few years ago, I was a pastor of uh, a church, Protestant church in San Diego, and uh, I was meeting with Jewish Family Services, a leader of that organization, a great organization. Really, it was to help elderly people and get here and there, a great group of people. And the whole time during that conversation, this man kept looking at this Bible I had on my desk, and it was a curriculum called The Bible in 90 Days. And he kept mm-hmm. looking at it. He didn't say anything. But on the way out, he shook my hand, and he got this great smile, and he said, you know, if you can find something in 90 days in that book that my people haven't found in 5,000 years, would you tell me what it is? And I looked at him, and I smiled, and I say, oh, I already can, Jesus. And we had, we had a laugh. But that's true, isn't it? Well, there are a lot of the things that you just said were true. One of the things that, that I like that I think ties into my answer and response to your uh, comment is that it's difficult for people sometimes to see the, through the forest to be able to really understand the things that they can be extracting and understanding when they're reading the Old Testament that apply to their lives today as they're following the Lord. So people get lost in all the details, as you indicated, Scott. In the book of Leviticus, they read about somebody that has, uh, you know, a fungus growing on them and how the priests would come and examine the fungus and make these determinations and so on and so forth, leprosy tests, adultery tests, things that are so far removed from our society today. Believers start reading through it, and they, they just get lost in it all. Yeah. That's why I think it's helpful when studying the Old Testament that people have teachers, You know, the Lord's given teachers to the church, right? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. One of the things that I think that the Lord has blessed me to be able to help people with is to simplify things. 
and to be able to take complex subjects and make it simple so that even children can understand it. So I think as it relates to Messianic Prophecy, as we're talking about my book today, Messianic Prophecy Revealed, the Lord has helped me over all these years of questing after him as a Jewish believer in Jesus to be able to find those places in the Hebrew Bible through study, research, uh, research being taught myself, those Messianic prophecies that so clearly are fulfilled by, by, by the Lord Jesus. Yeah, I think uh, it, you said the, I think the right thing here, too. This is why we have teachers, right? We aren't on our own as we go through and read. Tell us some of the things that, as a person who might now might be going through their Bible the first time or maybe for multiple times, that they should you know, understand right away when they start to read difficult, seemingly archaic passages that actually are yeah. incredibly relevant once we understand what they meant. Right. Well, the first thing I would say is what, uh, you, what you hinted at. I think it's important just to press through. Yeah. And I actually, if I, if I was starting, if I was counseling a new believer to get them involved in Bible reading and Bible study, this is just personally me, I would start them, like, I would have them read one of the three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, or Luke, probably encourage them to read Matthew. Then I would encourage them to jump over to the book of John, Gospel of John, then read straight through it, because I know that what they need, first of all, is a basic understanding of their faith. And you know, uh, Scott, like I do, that there's a lot of believers today that are really not fully believers, that Messianic mm. prophecies, understanding the Hebrew roots of their faith would really help them. So, yeah. for example, there are so many Christians today, people that self-identify as Christians, and you know what? They really don't believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. That's right. They're happy to call themselves a Christian, they'll label themselves a Christian, but they are of the opinion as to thinking of themselves, who am I? you know, to say to this person that they're not going to heaven just because they don't believe in Jesus. They seem like a good person. Uh, maybe someone's even practicing another religion, like a Muslim that seems really, you know, a Islam or a Muslim that seems really devoted or some other type of spiritual journey they're on. And a lot of Christians are very, very reluctant to take a stand that Jesus is the only way to heaven. But when you see how Yeshua fulfills the Hebrew Bible, when you see how Jesus fulfills the Hebrew Bible, beginning, and most importantly, with the blood, and the way that the, the blood was the means by which God saved Israel. You know, he saved them from Egypt through the blood of the Passover lamb. When they received the Torah at Mount Sinai, Moses sprinkled the blood on them. When God gave them their holy days, the highest holy day, as you know, Scott, of the year is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, where the high priest would take the blood of a, a bull and a goat into the Holy of Holies and put it on the altar there. And then the Lord said in Leviticus 17, 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you on the altar to make an atonement for your soul. For it's the blood, by reason of its life, that makes atonement. So we understand that the only means by which a holy God can be in relationship with uh, humanity that's living uh, apart from him in the flesh and defiled, the only way that that bridge can be crossed is through the blood atonement of an innocent one dying in the place of the guilty, and that separates Jesus from every other pathway. But a lot of Christians, because they don't understand this, they think, you know what, it's really just about being a good person, and I'm a Christian, uh, but, you know, this person, my neighbor, you know, they might not, you know, believe in Jesus or go to church or, you know, don't read the Bible, but they're good people. So, I, I, you know, I believe they're going to heaven, too. They don't understand the blood. Yes, I think that that is a excellent point. And I, I think, you know, if you're listening and you're thinking, 
you know, that this is something difficult. It's not. And that's why we have teachers. You're listening to Southern California Live. My guest is is Rabbi Kurt Schneider. He's a Jewish believer in Jesus. You can learn more about him and his ministry by going to his website, discoveringthejewishjesus.com, discoveringthejewishjesus.com. Uh, Rabbi, you've got a, a book out that will help people begin to have this understanding. I think that you are onto something important. There's a disturbing statistic that Barna put out recently that says only 17% of church-going Christians have a biblical worldview, and part of it is not understanding who Jesus is and what he actually accomplished. Right. I mean, totally. I mean, let's face it. If we if we don't believe, in my, in my viewpoint, this is not meant as a judgment, a statement against people. It's made as a statement of affirmation of who Jesus is. If someone does not believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven— they're really not a Christian. They don't understand who Jesus is. Jesus is the fulfillment of that which was outlined in the Hebrew Bible, sacrificial atonement, that an innocent one died in the place of the guilty, and it was only when an innocent one died in the place of the guilty that the guilty could go for it. That's what Jesus did, right? He that knew no sin yeah. became sin on our behalf, that we become the righteous of God. So... Um, yeah, understanding the Hebrew Bible as you began the broadcast with is so important and critical because it grounds us. Yes. Well, and the, you don't have the New Testament without the Old Testament, right? You have New Testament, Jesus and the apostles are quoting the Old Testament to prove that Jesus is the Messiah and who he claimed to be. Well, to, to put an exclamation point on that, think about the first verse in the New Testament. The first verse of the New Testament, Scott, right? This is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. That's right. The son of David, the son of Abraham. The very first verse in the in, in the New Testament links Jesus back to the Torah and the Old Testament. It's like if we can't understand, we we ha- we have to understand the Judaic roots of the Christian faith. That's why Jesus said to the woman of Samaria, the woman at the well in John chapter four, who was not Jewish, he said, "Woman, you don't know what you're worshiping. We know what we worship. For salvation is from the Jews." So to to really come to understand. The, the person and the work of Jesus, we have to have the grounding in that which was first delivered to the Jewish people in the Old Testament. Yes. And, you know, that's, you know, earlier in the in the program, I don't know if you were listening, I was, I was reading something where a study just came out just publishing what the religious beliefs are of everybody in the new Congress. And the majority of them mm-hmm. are Christian, but included in that whole list of different types of Christians, denominations, Protestant, Catholic, also was Mormon, which is a different faith, really. And I think people don't know that if they don't understand who Jesus is and uh, why uh, they should know that. Yeah, yeah. It's always an interesting question, too. How much knowledge does someone need to have to be saved? You know what I'm right. saying? It's like, right. We all err, and, you know, but, uh, but you're absolutely right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Jesus, yeah. Rabbi, can you stay over the break, and then I want to talk about your new book, Messianic Prophecy Revealed. Would that be all right? Yep. All right, we're going yeah, to yeah, take a little yeah. break, and then I want everybody to know um, you can learn more about Rabbi Kurt Schneider. His website is discoveringthejewishjesus.com, discoveringthejewishjesus.com, and there you can get his new book, Messianic Prophecy Revealed. And uh, we'll tell you more about that and more about uh, Rabbi Schneider's ministry as soon as we get back. You're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow. I'll be back as the Monday edition continues. Stay tuned. 
This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow. Join the conversation now by texting Scott in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live. With me is Rabbi Kurt Schneider. And Kurt Schneider is the host of a television show that you can find at various stations and on radio. It's also on radio and YouTube and social media. It's called Discovering the Jewish Jesus. That's the name of his ministry. And uh, he has a new book that we are talking about today, and uh, it's called Messianic Prophecy Revealed. Uh, Welcome back. Uh, Thanks for staying through the break, Rabbi. Thank you, sir. Great to be with you and to yeah. dialogue with you. It's always great talking to uh, pastors. Well, I'm having such a good time and talking it, with you because I think this is so important because I want people to really understand the Word of God. And like you said earlier, we need teachers to help, especially to bridge that gap, I think, for a lot of us with the Old Testament. When, you, when we're talking about the, the New Testament, and often it is said that Jesus fulfilled these prophecies— Sometimes I think that we have this view of prophecy that it's something very clear, like Jesus was born in Bethlehem, okay, he was born there. But actually, a lot of the time, it it means something much greater than that, that it's more of an art. Could you explain that a little bit for our audience? Yes, I I certainly would like to do that, because I have gotten frustrated when I've heard pastors stand in the pulpit and make claims that Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies from the Hebrew Bible— and the chance of somebody doing that is mathematically impossible. Right. And they're making an assumption that the 300-plus prophecies that he fulfilled were somehow predictive prophecies that could be scientifically measured. For example, use the, you use the example, which was a correct example of a scientifically measurable prophecy, when we read in the, uh, the, you know, that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Right. You know, the book of Micah, that out of Bethlehem, one shall go forth who will be ruler of the nations and whose days are from eternity. That's a scientific, measurable, predictive prophecy that Jesus fulfilled. But a lot of the ways that the New Testament uh, writers used the Hebrew Bible in saying that Jesus fulfilled it is not predictive in nature. It's more so that in Jesus's life, he is repeating in his own journey on earth what Israel did before him. For example, Mm. in Matthew chapter 2, we read that when Herod found out the Messiah was born, he decided he was going to kill the male Hebrew children for fear of his kingdom being overthrown. So the angel came to Joseph, Yeshua's father, and said, take the child into Egypt. So Joseph, Miriam, and Jesus are in Egypt, and then Herod dies. And once Herod died, the angel came to Joseph again and said, take the child back to Israel now. And then Matthew makes the comment in his gospel in Matthew 2 that the Scripture might be fulfilled. There's the Messianic prophecy, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. And then he quotes from the book of Hosea, out of Egypt, he quotes from Hosea, did I call my son. So you would think that when Matthew says that this prophecy was fulfilled, out of Egypt did I call my son, you would think that when you go to Hosea, you would find something there that would say something like the Messiah uh, is going to be, you know, that it, it, there would be something there that would make you think a future event is going to fulfill it. Right. But in reality, when Hosea said, when uh, Hosea says, "Out of Egypt did I call my son," he wasn't talking about something that was supposed to be happening in the future. He was just recounting Israel's history that mm. God had delivered them out of Egypt before Hosea was even born. So it wasn't something that you would know that was was a prophecy. But Jesus, in his own life, now 
was filling Israel's history up with meaning by going through in his own life what Israel went through. Even as Israel was called out of Egypt, so Jesus was called out of Egypt when the angel came back to Joseph and said, take the child into, into Israel now. So it's more, like you said, of an art than a science sometimes. And the way the New Testament writers used the Hebrew Bible in declaring that Yeshua was a fulfillment of it, in examples like the one that I just gave, was very much the rabbinic method of the time. It wasn't some unique thing. Uh, but when I first saw that in Bible school, Scott, and, and I saw that out of Egypt that I called my son, and then I went back to the book of Hosea, and I, I was upset. I was like, yep. this isn't a prophecy. You know, I, mean, I didn't understand. I think, and I think what you're saying, it matters greatly because probably most church-going Christians have heard the same thing that you said. If the odds of him doing all of these uh, prophecies are the same as stacking Texas up two feet deep, right, and blindfolding a guy, and you find the one marked coin. Well, but the non-believer or the seeker or the skeptic is going to go look up those prophecies next and have have that reaction. They're going to say, this isn't a prophecy. What are you talking about? And this is right. why I think that your your book and this understanding is so important for Christians to understand, because it impacts the way we we share the gospel, uh, the way we understand Christianity. So this is the kind of information and kind of teaching that people will learn from uh, your new book called Messianic Prophecy Revealed. Is that right? That's exactly right. And there's so many beautiful uh, illustrations and allusions and prophetic uh, stories in the Hebrew Bible that find their fulfillment in Jesus in Yeshua. One of the ones that I love the most that's so important to Judaism is called in Hebrew the Ha'akadah, which is the binding of Isaac when Abraham sacrificed his only son. Uh, the, the scripture calls Isaac Abraham's only son, even though he had other sons, but it was the only son through his wife Sarah. Hmm. Or Sarah. So what we often is when we look at the picture of Abraham sacrificing Isaac, Isaac looks to be like about eight years old. But a, and, and Abraham is the great hero of the story for being willing to, uh, to offer to the Lord that which was so precious to him beyond words to describe it. And of yes. course, he, he is a hero. But what we don't understand is that in Jewish tradition, Isaac was not eight or nine years old. In Jewish tradition, Scott, Isaac is 37 years old. Hmm. So when you understand that the Hebrew tradition of this, it's no longer a story just about Abraham. It's also now a story about Isaac, a grown man who willingly, in obedience to his father, laid himself down on the altar, willing to offer up his own life to Hashem, to God, even as Jesus did. And this would go to really help us, I think, understand what it means that Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament and the prophets, that as you're, you're yeah. showing us here, that it's not just a, a scientific line. He was born in Bethlehem. Right. Here he, did, he did some of those, but he's fulfilling the history. And this is what gives so much weight to proving that Jesus is who he said he was. Totally, totally. And, and that's what we all need to, that our God's people need to come to a place where we know that we're standing on solid ground so we can be bold witnesses in the world and declare our faith to people. Because the Scripture says there is no name under heaven by which men can be saved but the name of Jesus. And if we don't understand how Jesus fulfilled the Hebrew Bible, a lot of times our spine is not going to be strong enough to be a bold witness, because we won't be fully convinced ourselves that is the only way. And I think that is a huge point, is that we often aren't as convinced as we think we are. And that's why sometimes, especially even with kids, that their faith falls apart as soon as they go and get challenged at college or uh, by somebody right. else. 
you're listening to Southern California. Yeah, you're listening to Southern California Live. My guest is Rabbi Kurt Schneider. He's a Jewish believer in Jesus Christ, and he is uh, the author of a new book called Messianic Prophecy Revealed. You can learn more and get this book at his website, discoveringthejewishjesus.com, discoveringthejewishjesus.com. Um, Rabbi, uh, we have to go in just a second. Um, what other words about this book or your ministry would you like people to know before we go? Well, I really feel like I have a gift to make complex truth simple for people. To me, I mm. feel so happy if I can make it so simple that even a child can understand what I'm saying. Yeah. So I just want to say to everyone that's listening today, I love you in the name of the Lord, in the name of Yeshua. God bless you. Um, I hope you'll get the book. I think it'll be a blessing. And, um, yeah, check us out online, discoveringthejewishjesus.com, YouTube, television, whatever. I appreciate the opportunity to be with you, Scott, and your audience today. Well, thank you so much for, for being with us. And I know that uh, you use that gift today for a lot of people, and people will be uh, inspired and helped. So thank you very much for being with us. God bless you, my friend, and thank you. God bless you. Thanks for being on Southern California Live. Once again, my guest was um, Rabbi... Kurt Schneider, and he is a Jewish believer in Jesus Christ, and his ministry is called Discovering the Jewish Jesus, discoveringthejewishjesus.com. His new book is called Messianic Prophecy Revealed. You can get that at his website, discoveringthejewishjesus.com. And something for Southern California Live listeners, you might have noticed that just about every day I give away a free book to some caller, and uh, it's not, you know, it's not a contest in that you're the 12th caller. We do that sometimes, but, you know, really, we just sort of randomly do that, and, you know, it's something that... Um, we're going to keep doing. So every day this week, I'm going to give away one copy of this book, Messianic Prophecy Revealed. And uh, even if you aren't the winner of this uh, this freebie, uh, I encourage you to go get it, Messianic Prophecy Revealed. You can get it at discoveringthejewishjesus.com. You know, and that message, you know, one of the things about the Scripture when you really study it, and this is one of the great things about reading through the Scripture and pushing through the parts that you don't understand, because you can go back and you can study later, but to to read through it is that when you have really good teaching through the Word of God, and you know how the Old Testament connects with the New Testament, and you see everything come together, not just in, in a story form, but also in a historical form, when you really see what God has done with His Word, it becomes very clear, number one, that God has inspired these 40-some-odd writers to write the story, the most important story ever told, of scripture in history, 40 some odd authors over about 1500 years. And you understand what's happening in the news today. You understand where things are going and your faith gets a lot more solid. And, you know, it's, it's always, and it's a wonderful thing to, to learn. And then the next time you go through the Bible and you're in Leviticus and you're struggling with why are these laws here and why am I talking about this? You understand exactly why. You can actually take that study time and learn that, and it will impact your life greatly. It really, really does. So I want to encourage you to take a look, discoveringthejewishjesus.com, and to read your Bible and to, you know, really trust that this is the Word of God. It will strengthen your faith, but it also makes you as somebody who will stand up to challenges to our faith because your your confidence in who Jesus is will be quite solid. So uh, we hope to do that for you every day on our program, Southern California Live. That's why we take issues of the day, but we try to go deeper underneath the headlines and go, how do we respond as believers? That's what our show is about. We're on three to five every single day. If you missed an hour of our program, you want to get the podcast, go to our radio station website, look for Southern California Live, or go to Spotify, look for Southern California Live. 
live and click subscribe and uh, you can get the hour of the show. All right, we'll be back for hour two of Southern California Live in just a couple of moments. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. I'll be back as the Monday edition continues. Stay tuned. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 